Hi, welcome to week three of the Esther series here at Three Circle Church. My name's Chris Bell. I'm the lead pastor here along with a, an amazing team of communicators that have been walking through the book of Esther with you. Uh, the book of Esther is an amazing story, an epic tale, if you will, from the ancient pages of the Old Testament. But although it's an ancient story, man, it has incredibly relevant and modern uh, applications for you and I. So wherever you're joining us from today, you may be on your back porch or in your living room, I want you to know that this, uh, this presentation, if you will, of the scriptures, we did this for you. We want you, wherever you are, to be able to experience the Bible, for the light bulbs to go off for you to understand why this old story would matter to us at all. How in the world does this ancient empire known as Persia with an ancient evil king, King Ahasuerus, and and these two Jewish people, Mordecai and Esther, and this really evil guy, the prime minister of Persia, the second in command, Haman, how does their story from so long ago, how does it apply to us today with a modern world and in a world with COVID and, and pandemics and, and politics and racial strife? Well, what you're gonna find as we explore this story, and I hope you already have, is that this story has a lot to say to us. And the most important thing that we see is that although God is not mentioned by name, in this story in the Bible. It's the only book of the Bible that's like that. You need to understand that his fingerprints are all over it. it. The story does not name him by name, but he is still the main character in the story. This story is pointing us right to Jesus as all the Bible does, pointing us right to God. And what we see is we see the invisible hand of sovereignty and providence in the middle of Esther's drama. This drama, I'm standing in one of the most beautiful theaters in the country at Sanger Theater here in beautiful downtown Mobile. And much like this huge stage off to my left here in this beautiful room, Esther herself found herself thrust onto the stage, if you will, of a drama, a huge drama. And you know what she found out through the whole thing? And you and I are seeing it as we explore her story. We found that God was sovereign in her drama and he'll be sovereign in yours. I mean, let's be honest, you and I right now. Don't you have some drama going on in your life? And have you ever had drama, and you may right now, that seems overwhelming? It seems like you don't see an end to it. Uh, the people involved, there's evil, there's hurt, there's confusion. Sometimes drama can become even life-threatening, like in the story of Esther. We all see ourselves at some point in our lives in the middle of a drama. And Esther is a great story that reminds us that no matter how crazy and seemingly out of control our drama becomes, we serve a God who's always in control and can work with his invisible hand of sovereignty and providence in the middle of our drama. So what we have done throughout the series so far is we've seen the history that got us here. We see that the Jewish people, God's people, were taken into exile by the Babylonians and then the Babylonians themselves were taken over by the Persians. And the Persians have a brutal system of dictatorship. The king is basically the ultimate power. He does whatever he wants. And King Ahasuerus is their king during the Esther story. And he is an insecure king. He wants to take over the world, but he runs into Greece. He tries to start a war with them and he loses. He comes back into town. He's gotten rid of his queen uh, who didn't do what uh, she, he wanted her to do. So now he has to find a new queen. And the new queen is Esther, this Jewish slave girl who has been plucked from anonymity and placed into the center of this incredible drama. And we picked up the story last week where Haman, the evil prime minister of Persia, decided because of his hatred of the Jews that he would influence the king, King Ahasuerus, to create a law 
that would basically have all of the Jews killed and destroyed. It was a genocidal plan. He wanted them totally demolished and wiped off the face of the earth. And he creates a plan that would get it done. And you see, in the Persian Empire, in that ancient world, when a king decided he would do something and he turned it into law, when he proclaimed something, he took his signet ring and planted it in place, that meant it was a law. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. And we use that phrase still, but maybe we don't know what it means. Well, it finds its origin in stories like this in the book of Esther. Because when King Ahasuerus said he was going to do something, when it was made law, it was irrevocable. Nothing could be done about it. It, it had to happen in the way he said that it would happen. So Haman brilliantly and in a very sinister way talks the king into making a law that he's going to kill all the Jews. But he has no idea that the queen he loves, the beautiful young queen Esther, is actually a Jew because she's not revealed who she is yet. She hasn't revealed her people. She has not identified herself with the Jewish people yet. But that time has now come. The time has now come for Esther to step up and Mordecai is going to help her understand that. So the drama continues. The suspense builds. The stakes have even gotten higher. So what are we going to do now? Now that the entire Jewish race is about to be wiped out by this evil edict, what's going to happen now? What's Mordecai and Esther going to do? Well, welcome to week three of the Esther series. So let's go now to the book of Esther, if you will. If you have your Bibles or your devices, you can go with me to Esther chapter 4, and let's see what's going to happen. It says this, when Mordecai learned all that had happened. Now, what's it talking about there? It's talking about the plans that are now in place by Haman, the evil uh, prime minister of Persia, the, the law that's going to eradicate the Jews. He heard about it, right? And it says his response was this, he tore his clothes he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's commanded decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, sackcloth and ashes is something we need to talk about for a moment because I want you to see the scene here. First of all, we need to understand how the Jewish people felt in all those provinces. Remember, Persia was a vast empire. And whenever a king like King Ahasuerus, uh, Xerxes, put out a edict like this, a law, it would go out to all the provinces. So as they're hearing about this law, they are all falling into deep despair, as you can imagine. They are finding out province by province 
that if you're a Jew, you're going to be killed. That's what's about to happen on a, on a certain date in the near future. So what happens here is Mordecai, being a Jewish man, he does what was an ancient custom, and it was true for the Jews as well. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He goes into the middle of the city, and he mourns publicly. Now, this does not really fit our Western and, and, and modern sensibilities, uh, but Middle Eastern cultures have historically mourned very uh, publicly and very dramatically. So this was nothing that they wouldn't have been familiar with. The Persians would have known this wasn't just a Jewish thing. It was an ancient civilization thing. And still to this day, in fact, you can find Middle Eastern cultures that mourn in this way. Now, I think we in the Western world can learn a lot from this because you know what I think sometimes? I think we have grown numb to things in a way. When's the last time you felt anything really deeply? Mordecai feels deeply, not just that his own life is at risk, he realizes that his entire uh, group of people, his tribe, if you will, they're all at risk, and partly because of his own actions, not that they were wrong actions, but he understands his part in it, and he mourns. Let, the sackcloth and ashes, let, let me just pull the mystery out of that. So sackcloth is what it sounds like. It could be a harsh uh, burlap type material that they would find so they wouldn't wear normal clothes. They would clothe themselves sometimes in animal skins. It would be very uncomfortable on purpose. Have you ever just put a burlap sack across your skin to just feel what it, just, just how it feels against your skin? It's uncomfortable on purpose. So what they were doing with the sackcloth, this uncomfortable material that they would put over their bodies is it was to remind them uh, and to publicly remind others that they are in a state of discomfort. It is an outward sign of an inward distress. That's what sackcloth and ashes was. So what they would do is they would put this uncomfortable clothing on, they would get in a public place, and they would weep and wail, and they would display their inner turmoil. And that's what he was doing. The other thing they would do is they would find ashes from a fire, and during those times, fires were going on at all times all over the place. Whether it was to do metalworking, whether it was to cook, uh, there was always fires going. So they would find a fire that had gone out, and they would cover themselves in ashes. Now what this would do, it would make you look hideous. You were wearing terribly uh, uncomfortable and horrible looking clothing. And then you would cover your hair, your face, all of your exposed skin would be covered with ashes. It would make you look like you were a dead man or a dead woman walking around. You looked horrific. And so all of this was a public display of this inward turmoil. Well, what we often do in our modern world is we keep everything bottled up. Uh, we don't really know how to mourn anymore. In fact, it's such a uh, it's such a foreign concept to many of us that we just go into hiding on. I think it's why many of us deal with oftentimes uh, depression and anxieties and things like that because we don't know how to let our emotions out. We just bottle them up. Well, Mordecai, along with the traditions of the ancient world, was willing to go public with his mourning over the impending destruction of the Jewish race. Not only that, but I want you to see something else. There's an important detail here. It says that he stopped at the king's gates. Why is that? And it says here, he stopped at the king's gate because no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Now, why is that? Well, remember, there were all these weird laws that were put in place by kings in the Persian Empire. The king was the final one. And somewhere along the way, one of the laws of the Medes and Persians, the same kind of law that has put into place this genocide that's about to take place against these Jews that can't be revoked, 
the same thing evidently had been, been put in place in the past, maybe by King Ahasuerus or maybe by a king before him. But at some point, one of the laws of the Medes and Persians said that no one can come into the king's presence in mourning. Because why would you want to do that? They were very protective of the king. They, they thought that mourning would be beneath his position. That you, if you came into his presence, you needed to be uh, clean and you needed to be happy to just be in his presence. So it was not allowed that you would go beyond the king's gates, beyond that boundary in sackcloth and ashes. And this is why you have Mordecai not going to Esther, but getting as close as he can to her. That's what's happening here. So when he gets there, guess what? He's close enough that Esther finds out about his mourning. But what is stunning about this is that Esther now is in the king's court. She's now the queen of Persia, and she has no idea about this new law, about this new edict that's been gone out. She has no idea that her own people are in peril. So Mordecai has to get this information to her. And look at what it says in verse 4. So he, Mordecai, is out in public doing all of this mourning, getting a whole lot of attention, and Esther gets upset about it. Verse 4, so Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Why do you think she was? Well, I think it is a multitude of reasons. First of all, I think she's distressed because she loved Mordecai. Now, she hasn't seen Mordecai in a long time. Even though Mordecai was her guardian, he was the person that raised her and made her who she is and gave her instructions, right? Uh, he, he's been a major part of her life. It's been a while, and she's not allowed to interact with him anymore. Now, remember, no one knows she's a Jew. The king of Persia, Ahasuerus, he does not know that she is a Jew. She has kept that secret. Now, this tells you something. It tells you that she's very human. You need to understand, again, this isn't a fairy tale. And Esther is going to be a heroine in many ways, but you need to understand that she was not faithful in some ways too. There's no indication that Esther was a, an obedient Jew. Uh, no one can tell she's a Jew. That means she's not living by the dietary guidelines. Uh, she's not living by the purity guidelines. There is nothing about her that has set her apart really as a Jew inside this Persian court. None of them have any indication she's a Jew. She's kept it secret on purpose. Mordecai told her to. But you need to understand that these are very human things. God uses imperfect people to get done His perfect plans. That's what you need to understand here. So not only is she distressed because Mordecai's upset and she knows something's got to be up for him to be in sackcloth and ashes and for him to be that close to the king's court, which could have been dangerous, she's also distressed because she knows that if they find out that she's a Jew and they find out that she and Mordecai are, are connected, this could go really bad for her. She's a human being. She's not fully the Esther hero that we're going to see later on. She's still developing here. She's still growing. She's a young woman in a terrible situation. So she uh, is upset about it. And what does it say next? Well, it's interesting. It says here that she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. So what does she do? Now, I've seen this play out so many times in my life. And like in small groups, we do small groups at Three Circle Church. And I've been in a small group setting where someone in the group began to talk about a really tough situation in their life and their mourning, kind of the way Mordecai is. Uh, they weren't wearing sackcloth and ashes the way he was, but they began to tell how horrible something is or how bad they feel about something. And immediately, because in our culture, we're so uncomfortable with mourning, we're so uncomfortable about being honest and vulnerable, immediately people in the small group will try to say things to that person to get them to stop talking about their distress and about their pain. 
They'll say things like, oh, it's going to be all right. Oh, let's not do that. Let's just think about good things. Well, the Lord will provide. And it's like, we just want to blow through it. And what I love in this story is that Esther is that person trying to get Mordecai to get happy, put a smiley face on it, and stop making such a fuss. She sends these garments to him for two reasons. Number one, she wants to get the attention away from him, to get him to stop this public display. She doesn't even know what it's about yet. Secondly, she thinks if I can get the sackcloth and ashes off of him, he can now come into the king's court and we can talk. Like maybe I can find out what's going on. It's kind of like, come on now, it's going to be okay. And, And see, what I think in our culture is sometimes we need to learn to mourn. We need to learn to mourn when people are hurt. We need to learn to mourn the injustice going on around us. Mordecai understood the injustice and evil that was happening. And I think sometimes we become numb to it especially in a society where we hear constant 24-7 news cycle. When's the last time your heart broke for the sin in the world, the pain in the world? When's the last time you allowed yourself to walk in the shoes of people around you, people of different races than you and what they go through, people of a different gender than you and what they uniquely go through, people who are struggling, people who are hurting, people who are different socioeconomically than you? someone who's poorer than you or has a different color skin than you or someone from a different nation than you and didn't grow up with your situation that you may have or may not have. Have you ever mourned in that way and allowed yourself to stop being so numb to it? This is really important for you to understand. I I think we're uncomfortable with feeling the pain of situations sometimes, so we try to numb it up. And you know what? Sometimes numbing something can be a really bad thing I remember as a kid playing ball, oftentimes if you hurt your ankle or something like that, you would just try to push through it. And I remember this one time, I twisted my ankle really bad playing basketball. And you know what? I really wanted to play in this game. And I talked to this doctor, went to see the doctor, and I was begging the doctor, hey, let's just numb it up. I got this game tomorrow night. And I remember my doctor saying to me, hey, look, I can make the pain of your ankle stop long enough for you to play that game but you're going to do more damage to your ankle. Even though you won't feel it in the moment, in the long run, you're going to do more damage because you won't be able to feel your ankle during the game. You will push beyond the limits that your ankle is designed for. So he would not give me the medicine, the shot. He wanted me to just get off of that ankle. He needed me to know the pain was there for a reason. And I think you and I often blow through things. Mordecai refuses. So Esther says, look, here's some clothes. Come talk to me. And Mordecai says, no, I will not do that. No, Esther, this is the time. He he understands that Esther just wants it to go away and it can't go away because what she doesn't know is that the entire Jewish race by Persian Mede law now is going to be destroyed and she's one of them and they are eventually going to find out that she's one of them. So Mordecai knows he's got to get her attention and the pain has to stay. We can't numb it up this time. We can't just cover this one up. So he says, no. I am not going to do that. So what is her response? Let's take a look. Well, he turns her down, and in verse 5 it says, Well, then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, so basically her assistant. And she gave him a command, and she said concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So she says, go find out what Mordecai is upset about. So verse 6 Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, what had happened. He told him about the law. Even this eunuch did not know yet about the law that all the Jews would be killed. So he tells him all that happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. 
He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. So Esther tries to shut Mordecai up. He will not. She tries to get him to take sackcloth and ashes off and clean himself up and let's put a smiley face on it. He will not. And we, we can really learn from this, guys, because sometimes you need to deal with something rather than push it to the side. And many of you right now have a situation in your life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. And you just keep trying to draw a smiley face on it when, when that's not what's needed right now. What's needed is to face the situation and be honest about it and walk into the pain so something can be done. Listen, you may damage the situation more by acting like it's not as serious as it really is. I could have really messed my ankle up if I wouldn't have let it rest and listened to the doctor and instead numbed it up with painkillers and went out and played on it. And many of you are doing the same thing. You continue to numb situations to the point where you can't feel them, but it doesn't mean the damage doesn't continue. If Mordecai would not have held his ground and gotten Esther's attention, then the Jewish race would have been destroyed right there in Persia. But that's not what's going to happen. Let's take a look at what takes place next. So Mordecai, through this eunuch, sends back to Esther the word of what's happened. He says, here's why I'm in the middle of the public square as close to you as I can legally get to get your attention, and here's why. There's a law that's been passed. Haman, the prime minister, has hatched a plan. The king has put his signet ring on it. It's law, and if you don't do something, Esther, the only one who can do something is you, and if you don't, if you don't go into the king and use your position to help your people who you've not identified with yet, and remember Mordecai told her, to keep that secret, but he's saying now is the time. Now's the time for you to step up and step out into that spotlight. Well, this is her answer to him, verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. And here it is. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Now what's going on here? So just so you know, you, you see again, and we just continue to see the layers of how vile and how authoritative and traumatic and abusive this Persian king monarchy situation was. The king in Persia got to do whatever he wanted. His word was law. And one thing he decided is that if anyone approached him, if anyone approached him without his permission, without him sending for them, they would be killed on the spot. That he, They would be put to death. In order to see the king, the king. So when you went in to the king, if you had not been summoned by him and you went in to him, you got an up and or a down vote from him. And it was with a golden scepter. If you've ever seen like the movie Gladiator, you see some of that from the Roman Empire. Caesars were known to take the up or down sign to whether someone's life would be taken or not. Well, in the Persian Empire, this happened with a golden scepter. And so he would either hold out his golden scepter and that meant you were allowed to come in or 50-50 chance, by the way, he withheld the golden scepter, meaning you would be killed on the spot. And what Esther needs to let Mordecai know, Mordecai has now told her the situation. But Esther is reminding him, hey, do you understand my situation? Do you understand the risk I'll be taking? And, and now you and I get an inside look at this. This is a young woman who's been thrust onto the world stage that she did not ask for, but now she's been given another situation. 
And what you see here is as Esther grows and matures, God continues to give her opportunities to use her new maturity in a powerful way. And now Mordecai says to her, Esther, this is your time. We need you to step up. But Esther's honest. I love that the Bible doesn't just give us heroes. It gives us heroes and heroines like Esther that are normal human beings. Esther here is afraid. Esther understands this could cost her her life. And she tells Mordecai that. She says, everyone knows that I can't just walk into the king. But Mordecai's not done. Mordecai is not going to give up. He understands that right now he's going to have to leverage his influence over Esther to push her across the line, to nudge her towards her, her calling, her reason, her purpose right now. So let's see what Mordecai says to Esther to get her to take that next step. So the eunuchs go to Mordecai again out into the king's palace, out in the courtyard, if you will, and he's still wearing sackcloth and ashes, and they go to him, and what you see is this incredible conversation taking place through uh, intermediaries, right, through these eunuchs. So they go to him and they say, look, Esther says she can't do it, that, that she could be killed. And now Mordecai gets strong. He gets firm with the queen. He's going to leverage his position with her. And look what he says. And it's very smart, verse 13. Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. So he calls her out. He says, don't think in your heart. He knows her well enough. He's, and by the way, don't you know people like, he raised Esther. Don't you know your kids? How many of you watching right now, sitting on a porch or in your car or whatever, you know your kids well enough or you know your spouse or your dearest friends. You know what they're thinking by just watching them. Just You know what's going on inside of them. And Mordecai calls Esther out and he says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that if you stay quiet, you can escape this law. But he says, don't think in your heart that that is possible. He says, you're going to die like the rest of them. Verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews, but from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. One of the most powerful, maybe the most famous line from the whole book comes from Mordecai to Esther. Now, here's, here's where Mordecai, I think, has his finest moment, if you ask me, and he's got a lot of great moments in this story. But I love how Mordecai calls out to Esther for her purpose. Now, listen, we all need a Mordecai in our life. We all need mentors and coaches and people who love us enough to tell us the truth, but also see something in us that we can't see for ourselves. Esther obviously does not see the opportunity she has in front of her. She obviously doesn't believe that she can pull this off, but she's got this person in her life that believes in her and believes in the God who has called her, and he loves her enough to tell her the truth. He loves her enough to call her out on her stuff. He, lo he loves her enough to call her out of her, uh, her fear and into her purpose, and we all need that. Let me ask you something. How many of you have a Mordecai in your life? that you've invited into your life and you've maybe even nurtured the relationship that they can speak truth into you. Who in your life can speak truth to you like Mordecai could to Esther? Even, even if you have gone past that person in position, even if you're more important than them, because Esther was clearly more in charge than Mordecai at this point. 
but, but she listened to him. You're going to see that she listens to him, and Mordecai is willing to leverage that. I love Mordecai in this moment, and I think we all need a Mordecai in our lives. And if you don't have one, go find one. Go find someone who's wiser than you and who loves you more than the comfort of being around you or with you. What I mean by that is if you have a friend who will tell you the truth, you need to keep that friend. Because if a friend calls themselves a friend, but they won't tell you the truth because they're scared you might get mad at them or they're scared that they may lose the relationship with you, then that person loves what they have with you more than they love you. The Bible says that, that, that the kisses of an enemy are far worse than the blows from a friend. What that means is someone who loves you will tell you the truth, and that's better than just the kisses of the enemy. And what you have here is Mordecai loved Esther enough to go, hey, I know what you're thinking. You're looking out for yourself right now, and I'm telling you it's not going to work. And he tells her a few things. And let, let's talk about now the options that Mordecai lays out for Esther. And I think they're similar in our lives at times as well. Let's check them out right now. Let's talk about the three options that Mordecai basically laid out for Esther. And David Jeremiah, great theologian and writer, helped flesh some of this out in some of his writings. I'm going to borrow from uh, Pastor David Jeremiah now. He says that these are the three options that Mordecai laid out. First of all, he laid out this. She might perish. He's honest about that. According to the law that had just been passed, he's saying if you do nothing, what's going to happen is you're going to be killed just like the rest of the Jews. They're going to find out that you're a Jew, and I'm probably not helping the situation right now by being out here in the middle of the courtyard with the sackcloth and ashes trying to get your attention. He's saying, you can't hide this forever, Esther. So one of the options on the table is that you just die. You do nothing, and you still die for nothing. And isn't that true for all of us? See, many of us will not live a life of radical obedience to Christ because of what we fear it will cost us. But you know the death rate for human beings is 100% the last time I checked, meaning that you and I are going to die. The question is, are we really going to live? The question is, are we ever going to stand for anything? And that's what Mordecai is saying. He's saying, Esther, you may live a little bit longer in comfort and in all of this opulence that you're enjoying in Persia, but you're going to die eventually. They're going to find out you're a Jew, and they're going to have to fulfill that law because it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. So you're going to die having done nothing. That's one of the options. It's one of the options for you and I, too, to live our lives and just be free and happy and buy nice stuff and get a good retirement plan and then die and maybe never have really lived or stood for anything. Secondly, she might miss her chance. She might miss her purpose is the second thing that's very important to understand. He tells her, look, God is going to save his people. Mordecai is convinced that God is going to save his people from this horrific potential genocide that's coming through Haman's law that he set. And he says to her, you could stay silent, and you could sit back, and what's going to happen is that God's going to find another way to rescue His people because God's sovereign purposes are not dependent on our individual decisions. We're not going to mess up His sovereign purposes. He's too big for that. So Mordecai is saying to Esther, God's going to save His people, and you can either be a part of it or not. But he warns her that the, the consequences of not obeying God is going to end up being her destruction and the destruction of her family as God saves His people. And I think, once again, there's a parallel to our lives. 
I think of the times I could have been a part of what God was doing and maybe I chose not to. Maybe out of fear or maybe out of just a love of my own comfort, I didn't want to step up, step out, and so I stood back and I let God's move pass me by. And you and I have a choice every day. Look, you're not going to stop the big sovereign plans of God, but you can choose to be a part of them or not. And so today I would ask you, are you going to listen to the Mordecai voices in your life and step up and into what God has called you to do in your life, in your family, in your job? Are you going to stand for truth? Are you going to be publicly who God's called you to be and not just have a private faith, but a public faith? We live in a time where people say things like that. They say, well, I just think faith should be a private matter. All authentic private faith becomes public at some point in its display and demonstration. Always. And then finally, he gives Esther a final option. He says, what if you're the right person at the right time in the right place? He says to her the truth. He calls her out into her purpose. He doesn't just call her out for her wrong thinking. In the end, he inspires her. And he says, Esther, think about the possibility here. What if there's a reason that you were made beautiful since you were a little kid? What if there's a reason that all of this happened? What if there's a reason the king four years ago got rid of his queen? What if there's a reason he came back needing a woman again in his life after losing that battle? What if there's a reason you ended up the one out of all those women who caught his attention? What if there is a divine purpose in this disaster of a situation you're in? What if you were made and born for this? What if God put you where you are to rescue his people? What if this is your moment? What if this is your time for such a time as this? And I would say again, we all need a Mordecai in our lives to say, hey, you need to remember that God was in control of when you'd be born and where you would grow up and all of the things he's put in the toolbox of your life. Whatever talents you have right there where you are, the wife or husband you've been given or the children God's put in your life or the family you have or the opportunities you have, the place where you live, the geography, everything about your life, your talents, your abilities, whatever you have in your hands, God gave that to you. And what Mordecai is saying is really the truth. The Bible is clear that God has purposes for what he does in our lives. He has purposes for what he places in our hands. And the question today is, will we step into it or will we let it pass us by? Will we stay comfortable or will we be willing to get uncomfortable to be used by God in our own lives? Now, we're not all in the same situation that she was. None of us are wearing a queen's crown. None of us are in the Persian Empire. But there are parallels because in my own home, in my own life, in my own everyday activity, I have opportunities to step up or step back. What will you do? Will you step up? and into your purposes? Or will you step back and away from God using you in His plans and in your life? What will your decision be? Let's check out what Esther decides to do next. Let's go to Esther chapter 4, verse 15, and see what, what Esther's final reply to Mordecai is. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now this is amazing, isn't it? Let's take a look at why her response is so important and just what she meant by these powerful words. 
So as we look at these powerful words from Esther, the first thing we see is that she says to Mordecai, I'm going to wait three days. See, oftentimes we like to rush through the mourning process and we see two places in this story that challenges our fast-paced thinking in our modern world. Mordecai slows everything down and he mourns and he gets Esther's attention. And now Esther, rather than running forward because she clearly has made a decision now that she's going to follow God and she's going to do what has to be done, but instead of rushing forward and making a mess of it all, she stops, she slows down. Instead of Hitting the microwave in her life, she's willing to go to the crock pot. You know, microwaves cook things really fast. And you can see it happening, but it's never really good when it comes out. But a crock pot is a totally different thing. And she was willing to go the slow cooker method. If you look at it, you think nothing's really happening. Oh, but a ton is happening in that weight. And we all know that when you slow cook something, gosh, it tastes so much better, right, when it comes out? Well, that's what Esther does here. Esther knows that she needs time. And, and, and this, though it still doesn't name God by name, we see his fingerprints all over this because Esther tells Mordecai, we need to reach out to God. We need to pray and fast. So she slows it down for three days. It reminds me of this beautiful verse in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, about those who wait on the Lord. Because Esther, instead of rushing forward, she made the decision, but now she says, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to wait these three days. Listen to what it says in Isaiah. It says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All of those things happened for Esther over those three days. A lot of times we have these blank spaces in our lives where we think, well, nothing's happening. And for these three days, it, it seems like nothing's happening, but it's preparing Esther. And next week, you're going to learn that the timing on this was perfect. And Esther had so much wisdom in how she handled the situation. Instead of rushing forward, she took three days to get ready and wait to hear from God and wait to be strengthened by Him. And a few things we see happen for Esther, it happens for us as well when we slow down and we wait on God and we let Him prepare us. The first thing it says here is those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Esther was scared to death, that's clear. But now she's resolved to obey God and to move forward with her plan to save God's people, but she needs strength. And it's clear in how she acts moving forward that God strengthens her during those three days. Also, the Bible says here, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. You know, eagles fly high so they, they can see better. Mount up with wings. Well, that's what happened in those three days. You're going to see that Esther is going to use surgical precision in how she uh, approaches the king over the next few days. And it's going to win the game. It's a chess match, and she's going to say checkmate at the end of this thing because she's so wise. Why? Because she slowed things down for three days. She fasted. She prayed. She got her mind and her heart right. And like an eagle flying high above to get a better look at things, she got a better view of the situation. It says here that uh, those who wait on the Lord will also run and not be weary. Now, this could have worn her out mentally and physically over the next few days and weeks, but but you know what happens? God gave her a reserve of strength. When we wait on God, we not only get renewed strength, we get reserves of strength. She did not uh, run out of energy as she walked this race. And then finally it says, they shall walk and not faint. That last piece happens when we wait on God, we end up with determination. And what we're going to find with Esther is that she's determined now. She says, if I perish, I perish. Even if I die, I'm going to obey God and I'm going to try to save my people. And it was treacherous and it was scary what she's about to do. 
But she, after those three days, was prepared to do it. Why? Because when we wait on God, we get renewed strength. We get better perspective and wisdom. We get reserves of strength when we think we can't make it. And finally, we get determination to walk and not faint, to walk without stopping. Have you ever started something and not finished it, like a garage project or cleaning up something or a book you meant to write or a blog post you meant to finish, but you got half done? Esther could have gotten halfway into this thing and given up. But instead, because of those three days she spent preparing and having everybody else pray for her too, she was able to complete what she began. And the Bible tells us that that's how God works. He who has begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And now she's ready to take her big step. Her time is now, and she's going to take a massive step in that direction. So as we look at her story today, the question is, what are you going to do with your own uh, Persian Empire moments. We all have them. Now, I know we don't live in the Persian Empire and you don't have a king coming down on you like that, but we do live in a world that's fast moving away from the plans of God and it seems like it's out of control. And every day in big and small ways, you and I have opportunities to step up or step back. We have opportunities to do what we see that needs to be done or to not. And, and God calls us, all of us, for a time such as this. Like the fact that your heart's beating and your eyes can see and your lungs are breathing, those facts tell me that you have a purpose for your life, that God has a purpose for you, a plan for your life, and He will lead and guide you if you will trust Him, if you will step up, if you will take the step into what He's called you to do rather than away from it. He will be faithful. So the question I have for you today is this. Are you willing to put your yes card on the table for God? And once you do that, are you willing to wait and do it His way? And not just rush into it and hit the microwave button, but instead let Him slow cook and let, let prayer and wisdom take place in your life. Get that better perspective so that you too can step into what God has for you. What do you think your Esther calling is today. All of us have one. Maybe it's it's that you're going to step in and reset the temperature in your family today. It's gotten out of control. Maybe you're going to step in to fix something between you and your spouse and you'll be the first one to step up. Maybe it's a gap, a hole that you see in your church that you go, I want to serve there in your community and you go, I'm going to step into that. And see, we can't do everything, but we're all called to do something. Let me just say that again. We, none of us, we're all human, including Esther. We can't do everything, but we all have something that we can do, should do, and are called to do. And the question is, what is that for you? What can you do today to step into what you're called to and not just be a bystander? As I, as I stand in this beautiful theater, I've been here before and I've watched performances so many times where I sat in these seats and watched someone on stage. But today as I read the story of Esther, I'm reminded for you and I as believers that when we become Christians, God calls us out of the seats of the bystanders and the onlookers and He puts us on the stage of history and He says, now live for me, stand for me, and do what I've called you to do. And the question is today, as He nudges you out on the stage like He did for Esther, are you going to walk back or are you willing to take the stage? My hope is today, your yes card will be on the table.